We have come to the end of the uh, second cycle of the first quarter of uh, Engraving Heavenly Truths, a survey of the Old Testament. And for some of us, that has, is our second time through this material. Uh, but that means different things for different people, depending on where you're at age-wise. Maybe for an adult who was maybe 30 years old the first time, 34 might not seem like a big difference. But for a child that was four years old the first time through and now being eight years old, there's a huge difference, especially uh, in uh, learning ability and the depth at which the material has been uh, considered. So I hope that uh, each of us have had an opportunity to deepen our appreciation for the Old Testament uh, through this quarter as we make the transition to look at the New Testament in similar fashion. You know, a survey of the Old Testament is very profitable for us, even though we have talked about the fact that we don't derive our authority for Christian living today from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is invaluable to us. And I just think of a few passages in the New Testament that remind us of how important the Old Testament is to us. Romans 15, 4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the scripture, might have hope. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talking about the Israelites as they were delivered from Egyptian bondage and brought out of Egypt. And as they moved through the promised land or toward the promised land through the wilderness, and they demonstrated varying degrees of faith, some suitable to God, some not suitable at all to God, and how many of them died off in the wilderness because of their unbelief. And then it's at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, Paul says these things were for our example and they were written for our admonition. And we look back then at those Old Testament incidents because they are an example and they are recorded not for the benefit of the people who were in the moment, but for our benefit so that we might see and learn the lessons that God wants us to learn from them. But as we think about the value of the Old Testament, there's a passage that comes to mind that is especially important for you and me today in understanding our connection to the Old Testament. In fact, it was something that Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and following. And there Paul said, but you continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them and that, listen, from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures. If you think about where Timothy would have been in his childhood, he wouldn't have had the 27 books of the New Testament. The scripture to which Paul is referring that was instilled in Timothy's heart as a child was the Old Testament. And you think, okay, well, that's all he had. And so he learned that for then. But then as the New Testament unfolded, he learned the New Testament because those things pertain to the covenant relationship that he would be in with God and the dispensation under which he lived. Those things that really pertain to the salvation of Timothy. 
But let's keep reading. In fact, let's just read verse 15 again. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul connected Timothy's knowledge and faith in Christ Jesus with not just the New Testament, but with what he had learned and what had been instilled in him from a child from the Old Testament scriptures. And so the, so the, the simple fact of the matter is that the Old Testament, though not pertaining to the dispensation under which we live, though not pertaining to the covenant under which we are with God, but in our understanding of salvation, how God has dealt with man throughout time in man demonstrating himself approved to God or God rejecting individuals, the Old Testament is invaluable because it teaches us some important lessons about salvation. In fact, I would say this morning, if, if you just boil it down to the things that are really important at this moment, if, if you and I knew that this was it, we don't know that, but if we did, if we knew that this moment right now, leading up to the end of this sermon, were that was it, and we scraped away everything that really didn't matter in this last moment, what would we be left with? I think you would agree that we would be left probably with three important elements. The grace of God, our faith in the gospel plan of salvation, and our response to it. The fact that God has been gracious toward us and has not just taken us out, which he very well could. The fact that he's given us the scripture that's able to produce faith and a faith that would be pleasing to him. And that he's told us how to respond to him in a way that we can procure and secure our salvation through grace and faith. That's, that's all we're left with, really. And that's really what's important. Nothing else this morning compares to that trio of facts and factors regarding salvation. And so that being given, what can we learn from the Old Testament about those three things this morning? I want to retrace some steps that we have walked through this quarter. Not, not all of it, but just some spots along the way where we see those three factors come into play. The grace of God, the faith of man, and man's works or his response of obedience to God. And if you're, maybe, maybe your mind's uh, thinking a little bit here about where we might go, maybe you're going back to Genesis chapter six with Noah. I would submit to us that this is a great place to start as we think about the right relationship of these three things, grace, faith, and works. 
And so as we think about a survey this morning of grace, faith, and works in the Old Testament, let's make our first point of observation from Genesis chapter six, that Noah was saved by grace through faith as evidenced by his works. Now, you know, likely the account of that situation, God looked down upon the world of Noah's day and saw that the imaginations of every man's heart was only evil continually. And God determined a purpose to destroy humanity, to destroy the world by a flood of water. But the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter six and verse eight that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, in all of that sea of iniquity, this one man found favor and grace from God. In fact, that's, that's what grace is. It's unmerited favor. It's not you or me putting God in our debt and God owing us a favor. We do that to one another. Maybe, you know, you help me out with something and then later I return the favor. And we help one another in favor that way. But that's not the kind of favor we're talking about here. Noah didn't put God in a position to where God said, there's a lot of wicked people here, but I owe Noah something. The Bible says that Noah found grace. He found favor that was unmerited in the eyes of God. First Peter chapter three and verse 20 says of this, who formerly were disobedient, the world in which Noah lived, when once the, the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. God's long suffering waited for Noah to get that ark ready. In other words, his favor, his grace was shown or extended to Noah. And so grace is evident in that particular account in the Bible. Well, what about faith? Does faith become an important component of this situation? In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse seven, we read by faith, Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Yeah, faith is all over what Noah did. Noah received instruction from God. And this is not the first time you've heard this. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So God told Noah, this is what I'm going to do. This is what you need to do. And based upon that instruction, Noah had faith in God that God was going to do what he said. And if Noah would do what God told him to do, then Noah would benefit in the way that God said he would benefit. And so yes, faith is all over this. Noah's faith, acting in accordance with the instruction that God has given, believing that it will come to pass just as God said it would. Now that's grace. That's faith, that's two of them. But what about the third component? 
What about the third matter here? What about works? What role does do works activity on the part of man play in being saved from destruction as in the case of Noah? Well, we can stay right in the same passage, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse seven. Just listen to it again. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with fear. He moved. In other words, he took action. What kind of action did he take? He prepared an ark for the saving of his household. He moved with godly fear. He prepared an ark to the saving of his household. In other words, he acted in accordance with the instruction he was given because he believed that God would do exactly what God said in the way God said it. And if he responded in obedience, then he would be the recipient of the blessings God had promised. It's a beautiful formula. God's grace, his unmerited favor, his instruction to produce faith in us to act or respond, and then detailed instructions that tell us exactly what we need to do in order to reap the reward or benefit that God has promised. And so we could ask the question, could any of these three things be eliminated? Could you eliminate the grace of God? No, because if you did, then God would have just wiped out all of humanity. And since Jesus said God could raise up children from stones unto Abraham, he could have started all over with a new generation of people. But grace was present. One man found favor and his whole family benefited from that favor that God extended, grace. Could you eliminate faith? No, because faith is believing that God is going to do what he said. And if I respond the way God has told me to, I will reap the benefits of believing in him. If you eliminated that, Noah wouldn't have accepted what God said. He wouldn't have moved with godly fear. He wouldn't have worked. He wouldn't have built the ark that he had been instructed to build, which is the third component. And so if you removed it and you just had grace and faith, which really wouldn't be an active faith because it didn't act on the instruction. But if you just had those two and you left out the works, Noah would have been left without the boat and he would have surely drowned in the flood just like everyone else. We see, in a sense, salvation unfolding in an Old Testament example in the case of Noah in Genesis chapter six. And that gives color to 2 Timothy chapter three where Paul told Timothy that these scriptures that had been instilled in him from childhood are able to make him wise unto salvation. How? Because I can look at what salvation looked like for Noah and his family. And there are some details about that incident that when we get to it in just a moment, apply to man's salvation today. Now let's move forward, move from this patriarchal period, the period around the flood, and let's move on to the period of conquest. 
And let's think about a situation or an occurrence or an event in that period of time that helps us learn this lesson from a different picture. And so my mind goes to Joshua chapter 6. To the Israelites, when they have come to the land of promise and God has cleansed them of the unfaithful and rebuilt a generation of people ready and prepared to by faith go into the promised land and do what God wants them to do. And so we find ourselves at the city of Jericho, the first city that they would tackle in their conquest of the promised land. And we get this point of observation, number two, from Joshua chapter six. The Jericho walls <clears throat> failed by grace through faith, evidenced by works. Now let's look at the three components in this situation. Was there grace? Well, <clears throat> I believe it was Jay's class where he had the illustration of the fortification of that city, the, the picture of how that city was fortified and it was impenetrable. I mean, you're not just going to walk up there and conquer this city unless you have the implements and the tools and the resources necessary to do that. And so here is an insurmountable task. God says, you're going to go conquer this city. A week. I'm just thinking what maybe some of those people were thinking. I don't know, but I think it's pretty safe to... Think about what we would have thought if we were standing there looking at that place. <clears throat> How are we even going to get inside? We're going to need a lot of help here. And in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 2, God tells the people through Joshua, See, I have given you the land. I've given it to you. I've given you the city of Jericho. But they're not on the inside. They haven't done anything to tackle and take that city. But God is demonstrating His grace, His unmerited favor in that He has given them that city in prospect. Now it's going to be up to them to have the faith that they can do it. And it's going to be up to them to do what's necessary to accomplish it. But it's as good as theirs otherwise. And so grace is there. But what about faith? Well, it's what they're told to do. You know, they're going to walk around the city for six days. And then they're going to go around it the seventh day. And it's on that seventh day as they walk around that city and they complete their courses, what's going to happen? There's going to be a shout and the walls are going to come tumbling down. That's not logical. It's just not logical that marching around the city is going to cause it to come crumbling down. Now, I've been in this building before when the wind was blowing pretty good and it's kind of sounded like it might come tumbling down. <clears throat> but I doubt when we break here in just a little bit, any of you think we can go outside and walk around this thing and it would fall. That's just not logical. 
uh, RV might bring it down. But we're not going to bring it down by walking around it. It's just not logical. And so this plan was not logical. And you know, sometimes God tells us and tells people to do things that may not seem logical to them. But Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8 says, His thoughts are not our, our thoughts, our thoughts are not His thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30 says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Not by might, not by power, not by air superiority, not by tank blasting the walls, not by catapults, not by anything that they had engineered in their own ingenuity, but by a plan that didn't seem logical. But what came from God, they acted by faith that God would do exactly what he said he would do if they would do exactly what God said for the reason and the way and you know those walls came tumbling down by work. If you look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down, but it doesn't stop there, does it? It doesn't say, oh yeah, we believe God can do it. We're gonna open up our lawn chairs and sit down and watch. No, that's not what it says. It says they fell down by faith after they were encircled for seven days. After, not before, not during, but after. After they did the work that God had prescribed for them to do to demonstrate themselves in obedience. And now I ask this question again, is there any part of that that stands on its own? Is there any part of it that can be left out? Could you leave out the grace of God? No, those people would still be standing there looking at those insurmountable walls. Could you leave out faith? No, because they needed God's instruction on what to do in order to make the walls come down by God's grace. And then they had to understand it and know and believe that God would do what he said he would do if they would just by faith obey him. And then their work after the walls were encompassed for seven days. The walls came tumbling down. Timothy, the Old Testament scriptures that have been instilled in you from childhood, those Old Testament scriptures are able to make you wise in Jesus Christ unto salvation. How? Because they demonstrate what salvation looks like. What God does, what God provides to man with expectation of man and how man responds in a way to bring to pass the thing that God has promised. Again, it's a very beautiful picture of grace, faith, and works leading to some sense of salvation. In this case, the deliverance of a city to the people to whom it was promised. Now, if we move forward, we can get one more Old Testament picture. And if we go to the period of the divided kingdom and we think about 
an incident that took place in 2 Kings 5 with a very powerful but prideful man. Naaman, the captain of the Syrian army. I just let that sink in for a moment. Captain of an army. Very powerful man. Mighty warriors under his charge who submit to him and who are instruments in his hand to wreak havoc and destruction on world populations. But the Bible says he was a leper. He had a dreaded disease. And here is a man who with all the power at his disposal could not do anything to fix that problem. He was a leper. But God could help him. And a little girl got word to this mighty captain warrior about the God in Israel who could fix his leprosy problem. And I can't imagine anyone who wouldn't want to respond to an invitation like that. Got a disease for which there's no cure. It's a dreaded disease. It's one that uh, is isolating. I mean, surely we can appreciate what that must feel like to know I may be at the top of the ladder in my secular advancement, but now I have something that's going to bring me down. And so here's a man at the top of his world, but he's got something that's bringing him down. Who wouldn't want a solution to that problem? But he doesn't have one until he's made known of the God of Israel who can heal. And so grace, unmerited favor has been extended to him. God's got a way for you to be healed, Naaman. But the instructions involve dipping seven times in the Jordan River. Something that to that man was not so pleasant. I'd kind of like to go over there and dip in the Jordan River just to say I had. But that wasn't pleasant or pleasing to this man who despised that land and thought and assumed that the waters in his land, the waters of Damascus, were much better than the waters of the Jordan River. In fact, in 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 12, he says, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel, could not I wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. You've got a problem you can't do anything about, and God has extended grace, favor to you, but he's given instruction that you're supposed to believe and comply with, and yet you're too prideful to do it. All you have to do is just dip in the Jordan seven times. 
Fortunately for him, he overcame his pride. And he went and by faith dipped seven times and he came out clean. He came out clean. You know, later, much later in Acts chapter 26, verses 18 or 19 through 20, when Paul was talking to King Agrippa, he said, speaking back of his, his conversion experience, he says, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed unto them at Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. Let's just be reminded for a moment that Paul preached in Damascus the very place where these rivers were that Naaman wanted to dip in instead of the Jordan River? Do you think those people knew about Naaman? Do you think they had heard the great account of this mighty warrior captain who had leprosy and yet he couldn't do anything about it and the God of Israel extended grace to him? and allowed him to go dip in the Jordan River and be cleansed of his leprosy. I, I guarantee you those people knew that account. And I just wonder, when the gospel was preached to them, if their minds raced back to that Old Testament account, and before they became prideful and refused to do what God was commanding them to do through gospel preaching. Did they remember what happened with Naaman? Did they remember the grace, the faith, and the act of obedience in order to receive what God had promised to a man that he would receive if he complied with God's instruction? Now, could you erase any part of this trio of compliments and salvation. Could you erase the grace? No. Could you erase the faith? No, you couldn't. Could you erase the works? No, Naaman tried to do that. And his benefit and blessing was contingent upon him following through in obedience. You couldn't erase any of it. So let's turn our minds now to today. And think about what these three accounts in our survey of grace, faith, and works in the Old Testament teach us about salvation, how they help us understand salvation today. And so point number four, today we are saved by grace through faith is evidenced by our works. What about grace? Does the New Testament say anything about grace? It does. For by grace have you been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Let's see the man should boast. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's grace. God willing to reach down in the pit and quagmire of sin to lift us up. If we'll but let him. 
What about faith? Is faith connected to our salvation in the New Testament? Oh, yes, it is. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. When the Ethiopian eunuch asked, see, here is water, what hinders me from being baptized? Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Faith. Faith in what God has said about the availability of salvation and the conditions by which it is obtained, whether it seems logical to us or not. And James chapter two, verse 26 says that faith without works is dead. Got to have faith. But it's not just grace and faith. There are works involved. On Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, they asked men and brethren, what shall we do about our sin problem? Was the idea? Well, they were told, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. There's work to be done. There's a response on man's part even today. Just two verses later, the Bible says in Acts chapter two and verse 40, that with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, save yourselves, King James Version. Be saved from this perverse or untoward generation. And Romans six seventeen says, God be think that though you were servants of sin, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you have been delivered. Having then been made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. And Ephesians chapter two and verse 10 says, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Grace, faith, works. But which of these could you erase? Could you erase God's grace? No. Could you erase faith? No, it's impossible to please God without faith. Could you erase the work, the act of obedience and response to God wherein we demonstrate to God that we believe what He said, we believe we'll be the recipients of what He's promised if we comply with the instruction as He has given it. Could you erase that? No, you couldn't. And again, it's not meritorious works. Jesus said in John 9, 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And you know Luke 17, 10. It says we've done all we've been commanded to do. We're to say we're unprofitable servants because we've done that which was our duty to do. And so this morning I ask us, are we saved by grace? Yes, we sing. Without him, I could do nothing. Are we saved by faith? Yes, Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Are we saved by works of obedience? Yes, because Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say, but no one of these will get us along where we need to get. We need God's grace. We need faith. And we need to respond and work in acts of obedience in order to procure the promises that God has made for us. So maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. What can you learn about salvation for your soul from the Old Testament scripture? You learn a lot. You get some beautiful pictures 
that help you appreciate why when a preacher today says you have to hear the gospel and you have to believe it. You understand why? You can see it acted out in other places in the Bible. You understand why you must confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, because salvation for you today has been made available through him. You understand why you must repent. Naaman had to turn and go and do the very thing that he didn't want to do. And you have to be baptized in water. Listen, faith includes why we do it. God tells us what to do, why we do it, and what we stand to gain for doing it. And so faith is acting based upon the instruction that God has given for the reason he's given it with the expectation of receiving what he's promised. And that's the thing, brothers and sisters and friends, this morning that stands between us and denominational religion. The faith often ignores the purposes God has prescribed for the very things that he's told us to do. And that's not faith. That's us believing in ourselves, not believing truly in God. That would be like, and I hate to belabor this, but I'm going to for just a minute. That would be like the Israelites marching around the walls of Jericho and them falling down and them saying, oh, there must have been an earthquake. That's attributing the result to something other than what God said. And so we have to do it for the way God said do it, for the reason God said do it, in order to receive the results that God has promised. Have you obeyed the gospel this morning? Have you accepted the grace of God and allowed his word to produce the faith that moved you to obey the instruction that he's given you for the purpose for which he prescribed. If not, we stand ready to help you become a Christian to experience salvation this morning, the salvation of your soul. If that's your need, we hope you'll respond. If you have some other need we can help you with, why not use this opportunity this morning? to make it right with God, to become a Christian, or to become a faithful Christian. If we can help you in any way, why don't you come as we stand and sing? Thank you for listening to this recorded audio of a sermon that was preached at the Roanoke Church of Christ. If you'd like to visit us, you can do so at 608 Dallas Drive, Roanoke, Texas, 76262, or you can visit our website at roanokechurchofchrist.org. We hope to see you soon, and may God bless you.